This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Welcome back to Valerie's Variety Podcast with your host, me, Valerie Moss. This show is about eating, reading, and creating. How these three things influence us every day and the people that make this happen. Isn't it you or me or our friends? How's it going? Hi. Hi, how's it going? Nice to see Evan. you too. Awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, for to chatting. Cool. Me too. Well, it was such a fun experience and great collaboration. So I really appreciate that. For sure. Now I hope it does uh, really well on uh, on Audible. <laughs> I know, right? Fingers crossed. For sure. Hey everyone, it's Valerie here. Today's show, Limbo, is an interview with the author of a book that I collaborated with and produced the book for. The book is called Limbo. The author is Marco Panza. He's from Eastern Canada. And today we discuss his book. If you're looking for a good scary thriller that has a theme like none I've heard of, Limbo the place between the living and the dead. There are curse words in today's episode, which I do not beep. And there's discussions about drugs and negative relationship views. This is not a family episode. But enjoy the episode, because it's pretty otherworldly. Why don't we start with um, you just doing a little bit of an intro. That's something I didn't write up on you, Marco. So do you have a little intro bio, a little bit of history you can give me on your story writing persona? For for sure. I mean, I was writing horror stories when I was like really, really young, Mm -hmm. um, which I kind of forgot about and then dug up a few years ago. Um, They weren't very good. Uh, obviously, but I think that seed was always kind of planted there. Um, I've always been a writer. Um, I write uh, for um, a handful of major brands in advertising. Um, mm, that's okay. my day. That's my day job. Uh, and as so far you're as a copywriter, yeah, I'm a copywriter. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Depends what you're copywriting I mean, about, right? For sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely scratches a creative itch, but there are times where, you know, it's not really you that's in control of what, what is going out there. There's a reason that you don't see ads and that at the end it has like a credit crawl of, you know, everyone that was involved. involved. No one's like, Oh, you know who my favorite copywriter is? Like no one, <laughs> no one outside the industry gives a shit. So, exactly. uh, yeah. So know what a copywriter is? They spend their days writing scripts for the purpose of advertising to promote and sell goods and services. 
Advertising agencies like Mad Men, for example, copywriters are known as creatives because they make up the slogans or copy that drive advertising campaigns, publicity materials, etc. And the word copy is from an old French word that means written account or record, which came from a Latin word referring to reproduction or transcripts. That kind of left me wanting to make some stuff outside of what I do. And uh, thankfully had some downtime because there wasn't a lot going on at the agency a few years ago. And I uh, just kind of dove into that, you know, that project. And, you know, I've been writing or creating something pretty much every, every moment of my life since I was like, yeah, pretty much a kid. So it's all kind of, all kind of evolved into books and a musical and drawing and, you know, kind of whatever I can get my hands on and find mm. the time to, to learn. So has it always been in the horror kind of genre? I think everything except for the uh, the musical. I mean, there were elements of like kind of spookiness, but it was it was more of a it was kind of like a mix of Broadway musicals and like a rock band. So it'd kind of be like if Green Day and Queen and Tim Burton soundtracks like all got together and and uh, mm-hmm. made an album. Um, so, so that was more of a, you know, pretty eclectic kind of like rock and pop project, um, with, with a bunch of musical theater vocalists, but everything else I could say has been strictly horror. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed. That's pretty cool. You have to send me a link maybe to some of your other, um, avenues like this musical sounds pretty neat. How long was that? How long was that production? Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of like the first really intensive and like collaborative creative project I ever did. And mm. it probably started writing um, with a writing partner at the time since I was like 19. And I don't know, it took us like four years to write it and find the members and, and kind of put it all together and record it. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like by the end, it all in all, it's probably like about a five, six year run. And by the end, um, you know, we were playing, a pretty decent size shows just within Toronto. You know, we never really got wow, that's beyond. Cool. Yeah, what um, was it called, or what is it called? It's called the Silent City. Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, a, I guess this art artistic character hears about this kind of Hollywood esque kind of place where you can become famous and finds out when he goes there that not everything is as it seems. And I guess that's kind of the the thing that kicks off his his journey. Moral of the story, right? Grass isn't greener. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a bit of a send up of kind of like celebrity culture and like plastic surgery and just kind of oh. plastic pop stars in, in general. So um, it's got a bit of that kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like a, it's not a very sophisticated musical. You know, we, we didn't come from that background, um, but, you know, I think it still holds up 10 years later. I did a kind of like a collaborative project like that where I took podcasters and voiceover artists from all over and we produced a book as a like radio kind of themed podcast sort of chapter by chapter. So everybody had their own character and then I put them all together. I was the narrator of it. So it sounds like similar to what you did picking and choosing all these different parts to 
make up your musical, right? Um, For sure, yeah. Let's get you to read, if you feel comfortable, with the back of the book. And then we're going to dabble in this awesome book that you wrote and see if we can get some of the neat things kind of brought to the table. So let's start with the back. This is a story of a man who accidentally becomes Grim the Reaper, the most highly revered killer in limbo. It's a place beyond space and time as we know it, where psychopaths compete for perverse honor and status as they carry out their deathly duties. As Grimm struggles to hold on to the memories of the life he's lost, he discovers that the insane being who shaped him and the course of existence itself may have sinister plans for the one thing he values most. In Limbo, the end is only the beginning. Cool. Sets the stage. So what was the basis for this idea? Where did it come from? Honestly, at the uh, at the time, it, I think it was a combination of things. You know, that band was falling apart uh, that I was in before. Um, what did I you had play? Another, I played guitar for the most part, a little bit of bass, and I was one of the vocalists and definitely not the best one. Cool, cool. So yeah, when that was falling apart, I had a nugget of an idea. It was kind of just one sentence and it was the Grim Reaper searches for his soulmate. And they were just kind of, I don't know, there was something in it that just made me keep thinking about it. Like, mm. I don't really know much about the Grim Reaper um, as like a character. Like he's a mythological character and he appears throughout history, but yeah. I don't really know who he is or what, what landed him there. Um, and the idea that, what drove whatever he did was not just the collection of souls, but the search for an actual particular soul was kind of also the other side that got me um, interested. I just want to give some background on the Grim Reaper. It seems to have appeared in Europe during the 14th century. It was during this time that Europe was dealing with what was then the world's worst pandemic. Fitting, right? the Black Death, believed to be the result of the plague. Skeletons are symbolic of death. Grim Reaper can represent the circles of life, also represents bravery and courage, showing that you are not afraid to die or meet your fate. They always have a scythe and arrive after death, not before. And then on top of that, uh, I was going through like a really bad breakup at, at, or coming out of a really bad breakup. So it was a bit of just my way of channeling a lot of things ending into something new. I'd always wanted mm-hmm. to write a novel and the subject matter just I knew was interesting enough to me that I'd put in the time and really, you know, not just be one of those stories of, oh, yeah, I'm working on this novel in the background. It's 10 years later. I've got like half a chapter and it's just never done. You know, Right, so. right. So it's kind of like a little bit um, cathartic for you to write this story premise, I guess, right? I pretty much put, I think I came out healed on the other end of writing it from whatever was was troubling mm. me. And, and definitely if I read it back now, there 
there are elements to it that I can point to that are like, oh, I know why that character said that, or I know why it was phrased this way. Um, I think I was just kind of getting everything purged um, while trying to, to make something new for myself, you know? Yeah, that's pretty neat. I mean, I think that's, I mean, in life, when we have a creative outlet, it's interesting how you take your personality or your, you know, trials and tribulations and you kind of put it through that outlet and really kind of get that out of your mind and down on paper, whether you're writing or creating something else, right? It's always so helpful. And and there's this uh, comedian that I that just had a new special last year, Jack Whitehall from the UK. And he was telling this just story that was based in just an awful experience. But he said something that I've heard in different versions. I just liked his succinct way of putting it was that uh, suffering plus time equals comedy. Um, mm. But, you know, extrapolate comedy to creativity in, in general. I just always find like if, if you go on a flight or a trip somewhere and the flight is smooth and your booking was perfect and like all the meals are great, you come back and you're like, it was nice, but it's not a story. You know, you right. want to hear that lightning hit your plane. Like if, if something wrong happened or your baggage was missed or there was some kind of crazy incident, you probably will be talking about that for years. So um, yeah, I think having things that are not easy to deal with can can be channeled into something a lot, I'm a lot more productive than just kind of brooding. I would agree. Cause it, I mean, the old saying goes, no news is good news, right? You don't have anything to say. It's like boring. This is a great way to sum up suffering plus time equals comedy. Isn't this so true? If life's easy, no one wants to hear your story. How boring. But if it's full of ups and downs, then it becomes relatable. I can't help but keep seeing your cat behind you. He's like stretching (laughs) and scratching. What's his name again? Uh, His name is Harvey Dent after the uh, Batman character, Two-Face. Yeah, I've seen him on your Instagram a few times. He is getting me through the pandemic. He's pretty cute. He is pretty cute. It's black and white striped sort of. Can't quite see. Yeah, that's right. He's a tuxedo cat. Oh, he's a tuxedo cat. My cat is um, 20, almost 20 years old. And she is losing her hearing. So you might hear her walk through here and howl very loudly. People say, it sounds like, is there a baby in the house crying? No, it's just my old cat. She's just saying (laughs) hi. She's very, very um, chatty. We'll say that. As most deaf cats are. I guess, hey, because they can't they can't hear their own um their own voice. Who's your favorite character in the book? You probably want to ask me that too, but I'm gonna ask first. Who's your favorite character? And is it somebody that you know? Is it based on somebody you know? I think that uh, my favorite character, just that always just kind of makes me laugh and is kind of ridiculous, but also has kind of an innocence to him is Rambo. The, uh, oh, yeah, assistant. he's so hilarious. Yeah, so I mean, he's, you know, ha- he was 
essentially recruited to become the assistant of a, of a Grim Reaper, as you know, um, but was kind of permanently left deaf uh, from the same accident that uh, ultimately led to him becoming uh, what he is within Lembo. But the fact that he's always shouting and he's like a little kid and he insists that he's called Rambo because he wants to be tough and just the the weird like wannabe prepubescent kind of side to him. Like he's trying to impress Sorry. everyone. I think that, I think honestly, all of the characters in the story are either one thing or another, which is they're either like parts of me kind of mm. bounced off of different different people or different events, like just little slices of who I am or who I was. And then on the other side, it's a lot of um, a lot of tribute, like little tributes and Easter eggs to uh, well-known horror franchises or characters or like lines from uh, iconic movies and, and books in that genre. So if, if you're a big horror fan, you may kind of notice a lot of those things. And, and that was kind of what collided. It's just me and kind of everything that was swirling around in my head at the time. Mm, okay. Yeah, Rambo was kind of a, a tough character to voice over because he was always shouting. <laughs> so for me, I had to do a few takes to get him to be a consistent sound because I wasn't used to that shouting. But I liked him and I kind of liked how he was a little bit almost needy, right? He needed he needed um he needed the Grim Reaper to be around him and he wanted to impress him all the time so he was that kind of prepubescent kid looking up to somebody he shouldn't have been looking up to in the normal world i was just gonna say he's kind of the embodiment of a lesson that i learned when when i was i think somewhere in elementary school which is like you can find mentors and you can have teachers and parents but adults are so self-serving and like so fallible that placing all your trust or validation in them or always relying on them to be the one to bail you out is sometimes going to lead. I think there's a line around, around kind of, you know, where things kind of start to go a little bit South for him uh, that says loyalty is a gift we give ourselves first. And that was kind of just a child's perspective of like learning a harsh lesson that people look out for themselves, especially for adults first. Totally. Yeah. And it really comes across in his, um, in his character. I like him though. I kind of was rooting for him a bit in the end when he was a little bit too, um, not sure which side he should be on and if he should tell too many secrets, right? Describe Caitlin. Caitlin was besides Dora, who is the main, the main character. Caitlin, I liked her. She had so much connection to the, our world. And she was wanting to get out of the limbo state, right? But she needed, she needed that connection to kind of get out. Just describe Caitlin a bit for us. Well, Caitlin has, there's a hierarchy with different roles in Limbo, you know, that kind of all revolves around, you know, souls that are essentially sent out into the, what we would call the living world or Earth or, you know, it's not really defined, is it Earth or is it some other place? Yeah, Earth or hell or, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of somewhere, it's just a fictional, you know, almost kind of like a biblical version of like, it's not meant to be 
a tr- like a real life representation of anything. But anyway, so there's a cycle, obviously, of of, uh, of souls being sent out, guiding and influencing the way people behave, making their way back and kind of getting reset and 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 started up again. And Caitlin is an engraver who is the I guess the role that they have is to etch souls. So mm-hmm. I, I, I described it as it's kind of like a little crisscrossing series of patterns, like they're almost sewing a tapestry and then kind of like fingerprints on glass. If you were to just keep touching clean glass, you eventually start to see this like shimmering soul that is almost like a guide for what people should be, what how should they behave. It's, it's kind of like a code or, or a rudder built into um, people on earth that mm-hmm. is all being controlled, you know, by various factors in this world. So Caitlin is alive, which is rare for this place. And she's mm-hmm. also been horribly disfigured um, to better suit her task. So she weaves with one hand and her head is on the other hand. <laughs> so, you know, cause she can see more closely what she's doing and is just, uh, you know, according to the one that made them, uh, a little bit more of an elegant, efficient design. So she's kind of uh, enslaved in in that sense where she just has this job where she's just repetitively trying to create something just so beautiful and perfect that makes people who they are, but it's also this kind of commodity that is just recycled each time and all these things that people become just get you know tugged away like right string being pulled from a sweater so she's she's kind of suffering at all times and she's been alive for a very long time yeah like and, uh, 400 yeah. years or something like that i think is in there time is very slippery in in limbo i think i described the t- like time is going forwards backwards left right and in directions that we don't yet know about or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. um so she could have been there for you know like 400 years 4 billion years does time even work the same way but it's enough that she's essentially accumulated like a civilization's worth of experience because she's one of the few people that haven't died and have just continued to experience uh things over time Right. And when you um, talk about Dora and you go back and forth in time, it definitely has that perception of you can't quite understand how long the time is. And Grimm kind of refers to that once in a while saying like, how long ago did I see her last? Like, I thought it was only, you know, a short time. Has it been this long? Will she recognize me? But how long is it really? I know you can't tell me that, but it's so curious when you're reading it because you don't actually know where that line is drawn. And plus time is so subjective to who it's affecting at the time. Yeah, I think I think I try. There's certain elements like when things happen on Earth or the version of Earth, they, they tend to be a little bit more. I'd say like grounded in something we can recognize versus the elements that exist in limbo, like that side, because, you know, those two settings are obviously kind of competing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just wanted it to feel like when you were in limbo or anything were to do with limbo, it would just have this like more cosmic kind of feel. Like I just wanted it to feel really, really big and cosmic, but also really ambiguous so that you could take away you could kind of try to guess at how long Mm -hmm. these things had been um, or how short and then what effect that might have on how you see the story. Like 
is it noble of Grimm to kind of remember his dead soulmate that, you know, he may or may not have been responsible for um, branding her life? You know, is it noble and, and is it romantic that he remembers her for so long? Or has it really just been kind of a very short time and to him it feels like long and he's kind of moved on, you know, rather quickly. So depending on how you interpret the, the time scale, I guess, of this world, you may have a different read of certain certain things and tried to do that intentionally. Um, mm. Sometimes it happened by happy accident and, uh, and uh, sometimes it was a mistake that I then later claimed was uh, totally on purpose. Oh, yeah, right. just like... All writers, we intend everything we write. Yeah, I think that's kind of a neat segue into when they have the ceremonies every night, or is it every night? I I couldn't quite figure it. I'm assuming it was every night they had these ceremonies, these monstrous ceremonies, and everybody gets awards, but Grimm is always, he always beat everybody at it. And they were like a nightly occurrence, Right. Like every night? It's, it's, again, it's one of those, like, mm. is it a week, ever, ever once a year? Like, they experience time as something that even the oldest ones that live in limbo don't quite under understand. Um, so it's it's more about, I, I was just trying to convey that the idea of former psychopaths getting to kill without ends in order to retrieve the souls that are then brought back to limbo like turning that into a sport and something that that they would compete over for me was kind of a commentary on how a lot of creative industries behave and how mm. how much of a just a circle jerk they they can be for lack of a better word like, like look at how creative i am so over the top with the the smallest of ex- like measurement right like the smallest thing and they make this huge ceremony out of it. And as many times and as, as much as possible. So the number is kind of like a light reference to um, like advertising award shows where, you know, it's like this art form, if you can even call it that I've heard other people describe it as simply greasing the wheels of commerce. Um, right. But, you know, regardless of how you look at it, uh, there are tons of people that are really creative in this industry that, you know, will, we'll kind of forget that advertising is advertising and that people generally speaking, aren't like super excited about it, mm. but we have like 180 award shows that are around the globe, a new one every week. And here's your new chance to get that little, like, you know, gold statue um, right. from some committee in another country, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of meaningless if you break it down that way. And I just kind of thought that, well, it's not that different from the Academy Awards, like from an, like it's not changing the world it's just an industry celebrating itself. And I thought the idea of, I guess, if you were to unleash kind of all the monster movie and horror movie villains, like the Hannibal Lecters and the Pinheads yeah. and the, the Candyman, and put them in one place and have them compete, that, that was just kind of an interesting idea. And mm-hmm. comparison, I guess, to like how cutthroat people can be for something that's kind of so like icky. Yeah. I haven't heard Candyman's name for a while. That takes me back to... A pretty good movie. Um, so good. It was so good, hey? What's with the bone marrow? So tell us about Grimm 
needing his kind of his fix and just share yeah like just can you just share a little bit about that scene i mean we can't we're not going to really give too much away but where he has to drill and he has to figure out and take a little and keep a lot and he doesn't want to use it all up so tell us the tell us what the bone marrow thing is about and the significance it is to grim there i just had this realization that feelings of i mean a lot of people have realized this i'm not unique or insightful in saying this but feelings can be like a drug and memories can be like a drug they can either propel you forward and kind of elate you but they can also hold you back and that's that's kind of what i was trying to get across with this quasi drug in in limbo so after someone that's responsible for someone's death in life is recruited to become uh, a reaper, you know, like a professional killer, they're offered the option to relive the emotional highs and lows of their life. And it's preserved for them in this kind of cocktail, like a, let's just call it like an emotional heroine. Okay. And most of the people that live in limbo don't feel anything because they're psychopaths and they intentionally killed someone and then were recruited. Grimm is not that case. Um, so for him, he doesn't say no to this ability to experience memories and things that like, he's no, he has no skin. He has no brain. He has no organs. There's nothing mm-hmm. human he's about sh- he's him. A shell. Yeah. And it's just this kind of, you know, I guess that that might be the, the softy romantic in, in me that, just thinks that sometimes that little glimmer of of hope or the memory of someone can lift you out of a very, very negative, negative place. So I think that was me being really depressed and trying to believe in the power that the hope of like future love could, could bring you. And I thought the idea of like, even as a skeleton, just having, you know, this, these hollow bones that somehow in that weird world, injecting this, this cocktail would allow him to remember for long enough to do something about it. And, you know, it's kind of his struggle is like, will I just forget everything or will I, will I remember? And, uh, you know, that, that cocktail could be represented by a photo you have, you know, of someone, it could be like Mm -hmm. an old letter. It could be a song that you kind of torture yourself with, but eventually it kind of loses that, that power to connect you to that person. Either you're going to act on it or you're going to, you're going to move on and it's going to fade away. about it. Yeah. Right. So that was, you know, I think that, that was the breakup talking for sure. It's so neat how you describe it. Like poor Grim, he's missing his Dora. It's how he wants to take this cocktail, but there's only a limited supply. And for him to ingest it into his body because he's just a shell, he has to drill a hole in the bone of his body and then inject this was it through a syringe? Was it through a needle? Or did he just pour it it's, into the hole he drills? I can't remember it, now. Yeah, it's just poured in through a vial. Through the vial, right. Right into this hole that he's drilled into his bone. And the way Marco describes it in the book is pretty chilling. Like you get the full effect of the sound and the powder and the feeling of it going into Grimm's body. It's, it's pretty neat to come upon that idea. Um, Thank you for saying so. Yeah, it was it was a pretty neat, pretty neat read.
is Dora somebody you know? Dora is... Or maybe um, a group of people you know? Because she has kind of this... She's got like that piece of her in my... This is my opinion. I'll let, I'll let you share yours. But he ha, she has this piece of her that is familiar to me. Like, I feel like I know her however she's described in the book. She's like somebody you know from the past or present. She's somebody familiar almost, however you kind of create her with her red hair and her kind of bitchiness almost. She's pretty, she's a pretty uh, tough cookie. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe her, but she is definitely tough and short and curt and she likes her own things. And she doesn't want any boyfriend interrupting her, her life of, being an artist totally i mean i think it's a it's a few things i mean there's parts of me in there wanting to be wanting to say things that like i didn't think i should say or that didn't get the chance Mm. to say you know there's there's like a one phone call where some some like you know just kind of just typical toxic male that's like oh no one's ever going to care about you more than I will so that's a reason to be with me (laughs) you know bitchiness she has about people who interrupt her long work nights and need too much of her attention essentially right yes absolutely and where she I guess who she is yeah it kind of gives a our impression of who she is So what we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 11 is called Promise. And this kind of sets the stage for Grimm's, the love of Grimm's life. So Grimm the Reaper, this is the love of his life and her name is Dora. And she's kind of the center of attention for the book. Everybody wants to know who Dora is, including us as the readers. So Mark is going to read us a clip to give you an idea of the kind of the sole focus, the POV of the book, I would say, and, or the main character, I mean, and um, her name is Dora. So let's, uh, let's listen to Marco Reed here. Dora shifted positions on her couch, putting the phone down against the cushion to dampen the babbling voice blasting from the earpiece. As she stretched her body out like melted cheese, it occurred to her that apart from feeling vaguely bored of the conversation, She felt fantastic. She'd been through enough breakups to know that no one ever liked hearing the truth as much as they pined for it. Might as well get comfortable, she thought, sparking the thick roach sitting in the ashtray at her side. Pete would tire himself out eventually, and his tantrum was no reason to delay her celebrations. It was only after she had exhaled two thick plumes of smoke that she'd noticed that the phone had gone silent. She put it back up to her ear. Did you seriously just put the fucking phone down? The voice resumed after a frustrated sigh. Oh, yeah, sorry. I um, I had an itch, Dora replied. Are you good? Can we hang up now? She heard the sound of a hand clamping over the receiver, making the curses on the other end sound as if they were underwater. Or like he's trapped in a bubble. Or eating cotton balls. Yeah, I need to buy some cotton balls. Pete interrupted her thoughts before they had a chance to veer completely off course. You put the phone down for three fucking minutes. So I'm going to say it again, and I want you to listen to me. 
You owe me that much. Go ahead, Dora sighed. Pete tightened and released. You clearly don't understand what you're losing, so I hope you enjoy all your newfound free time. I would always be good to you and take care of you and love you, and all you had to do in return was give a shit. Tears now. You're a shit human being. Do you hear me? You're a black fucking hole. The only person you're capable of loving is yourself, and you're doing this because you're a selfish fucking asshole. Dora waited for more, but Pete was done thrashing. Good timing, she thought, more than just vaguely bored now. Great, well, I hope that helped you, she began slowly, making sure not a single word was missed. Now, I'm going to say something, and I want you to listen to me. I don't owe you anything. My time, my affection, or my attention. We shared what we wanted to, and we just worked, and then we didn't. I'm returning you to the store, Pete. Obviously, it feels <laughs> sudden. If you drop a teacup, does it take a year to hit the floor? Things just break, like this. She snapped into the phone for emphasis momentarily distracted by the intricate patterns of her own fingertips. You're not what I want, and you're certainly not what I need. So if you think I owe you something, you should ask yourself what exactly it is that I promised you, because I sure as hell don't remember making any promises. Pete panted quietly into the phone, the silence between them bloating. It didn't take long to decide how best to phrase his goodbye. Fuck you, you wise-ass cunt. Click. What a boring last thing to say to someone, Dora thought stuffing the phone between the couch cushions and out of sight. She figured there was no shortage of men who secretly wished they could use the word cunt more freely, just itching for the occasion to do so. She'd heard it enough times to confirm the theory, along with plenty of other names. She didn't care, and knew better than to wonder if she should. It was always better dropping dead weight than waiting for it to decompose. Besides, she had more pressing concerns, such as her bladder. That definitely sums up <clears throat> Dora. She is a tough cookie, that's for sure. And she doesn't want any she doesn't want to be bothered with all the bullshit of this guy either. He's annoying. She, she I mean, Grim is a liar. Grit you, you'll find grit like there's a there's a moment where you'll see, you know, or a few moments that you'll see that Grim is kind of just he's stories and he's like myths and he's legends and he's things that he says about himself and things that says about others but he's not he's not someone that has like a core truth or, or substance beyond kind of being bad in a way you know like there's some kind of binary between them that's a little mm. more nuanced than a binary but dora is the extreme version of good in my eyes where she's so honest and like so straightforward that after a certain point, if you don't accept that, you would actually interpret her as being, you know, uh, malicious, perhaps. But I wanted to just paint a picture with that conversation that she's been saying, we're done, you know, in the politest, most straightforward possible way. And he made it nasty, you know, so mm -hmm. she's she's happy to, to fight back because she doesn't need anyone but herself. And I think that was a bit of, again, a piece of me going I want to throw myself into like this thing that I want to make I don't want to worry about anyone's opinion um and I wish I had that confidence and that that true feeling that she that she has you know that I was chasing to be like I'm good on my own you know and right. thankfully I came out of that but I think that was a bit that breakup conversation was like how I wished I might have handled um something obviously not not quite as uh, negative um for effect but 
that was, I guess, equally kind of hurtful. Mm-hmm. I think you're right too, because she is brutally honest and not to hurt your feelings. Like another example would be when she's moving and the moving guys are there and, and she's like, are you done? Like, go away, dude, who's trying to like hit on her and everything. Like, she's just, just like, here's so not my type, like, just go away. But he doesn't get it. He's like still trying and still chatting with her, right? The poor movie Absolutely. guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of dudes in, in general, unfortunately. Um, get a hint. And- <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> hello, dude. Okay, so I asked you this the grossest part of the book that I had to read. I hate this part. I hated <laughs> reading this part. It was so gross to me. And it's not even gory or anything. It's just like the way you described poor Rambo. And it's in chapter 15. I can read it if you want, unless you want to. And sure, it's the judgment. Set the stage for this clip, Marco. Sure. So, uh, Ram, yeah, uh, Rambo, uh, Grimm's kind of childlike but also somewhat evil assistant, um, is basically keeping a his secret EA. from Grimm. <laughs> yeah, his his EA. His um, EA. Yeah, definitely taking taking notes on a moleskin for Grimm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Grimm had, you know, the thrust of the story is that Grimm escapes or leaves limbo to try to find his soulmate just kind of back to that nugget that i mentioned like grim reaper searches for his soulmate so mm-hmm. he's he's kind of lied to rambo and said like i'm just working on something really big for us i'm going to get you promoted like all the all the lies you tell your underlings to get them to do what you want if you're kind yeah. of a cutthroat a little minister. manipulative yeah so he's been found out and uh essentially he's given up the goods of where Grimm is and uh he's about to be punished very very badly www.marcopanza.com that's m-a-r-k-o-p-a-n-d-z-a.com if you don't want to if it's too gross I can take it it's fine I read it once Rambo rolled to a stop a few feet from Vlad, tossed aside by his careless captor as they appeared in the cavernous hall. Something began to emit a sharp hissing, like propane from a punctured cylinder. Rambo saw that a boil the size of a watermelon had ruptured under Vlad's, under Vlad's heel, spewing its thick yellow contents. So fast, the eye had to keep shuffling back. He bumped up against Helen, whose sudden appearance behind him was announced by a tearing sound, followed by the shrill buzzing of a few of her more agitated bees. Shh, she whispered, raising a finger to her skinless lips before pointing it out past him. Rambo turned and immediately saw that beyond the broken boils' borders, a strange series of protrusions had begun sprouting. As they multiplied, extending out further and further, they formed a sort of carpet 
leading to a pulsing gash in the distance. They all flared in unison as if breathing. He saw then what the protrusions were, noses, thousands upon thousands of noses. Some made snoring sounds, others wheezed. A particular one caught the cowering eye's attention, reminding him of a farmer as it forced out intermittent globs of mucus in impressive arcs. Yeah. Ew. That's the line. That? That's disgusting. That sounds That's disgusting. really bad, right? Who wrote that? How the <laughs> hell did you come up with that idea? I actually read that part to my husband. I'm like, this is so gross. It's like the so, worst visual. It was kind of like, I don't know. I guess there was a few pieces to, because that visual, like this cobbled assortment of pieces of people and configurations that don't really make sense, that are always moving and growing and turning into other things, um, I think was my way of turning <clears throat> the movie The Thing. Are you familiar with The Thing? Like yeah. the yeah, and, and like there's another movie that's kind of like that, like Slither. I just became obsessed with this idea of like an organism that just was a kind of a hive mind that was made up of just an endless assortment of of, of people. Um, and I guess the material objects and other things. So, you know, there's, I guess, more detail in the, in the mm-hmm. book about that. But it, it, I, I love that the thing is my number one favorite, I think, horror movie of all time tied with Candyman. So... Um, I wanted to create something that was almost like a bigger version of that, that it Mm. could be anything. It could look like anything. It could do anything. Um, but it had some kind of physical limitations as well. So if the thing became a planet, that's, that's kind of like a shorthand for what limbo is. And inside of it, there's nothing makes sense. I, I just wanted everything to be destabilizing, you know, when, when anyone within limbo or the reader encounters, um, you know, it's called by a lot of names, it, the maker, Minerva, there's, there's a lot of different names for it, but any, any embodiment of it is just like, you're just seeing like a speck of it and you're so beyond its comprehension that, you know, you don't even matter. So I wanted to destabilize anyone reading it that they didn't know what was coming, what they would see. Mm -hmm. And it truly is the opposite it was meant to be the opposite of beauty or at least beauty perverted. Cause you take all the paints, you know, on a palette and they're beautiful individually, but you mash them together and like, is it beauty anymore? It still has the same components. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of, it was a bit of that kind of swirling around my brain, like something so, um, I guess beyond human comprehension, almost like a God that would also be such a perversion of what we would think it was. Right. Yeah, it was good. So there is there is purpose. I'm I'm not just trying to purely gross people out. Although if I go back and read some little bits like that, did did it have to be a boil? I don't know, but I'm sorry. The size of a watermelon, <laughs> like gross. <laughs> yes, quite gross. And all the snotting noses and everything, disgusting. That was a really good. That was a really um, good descriptive clip of. You know, and you do this several times throughout the book where you have to kind of be like, what the the hell is this? (music) 
where are they walking through with Caitlin when she's kind of touring them through and they're all these like little rocks and mounds and how you kind of describe that room um oh yeah yeah that that's the um the character Caitlin lives in the engraver's den so like in the I den yeah yeah and they're all you know what makes them able to to sew these tapestries of souls and, and and create them is the fact that they're artists of various forms so it's it's the the location kind of reflects what is meant to keep them happy which is being surrounded by inspiration and beautiful things and statues and art and paintings and beautiful gemstones and music but it's all just piled one on top of another and they live on top of that to the point where it's just like a wasteland so you know it's the same it's kind of like an extension of limbo just expressed in a different way you mm-hmm. take something that if you broke it all apart it would make sense and it would, might be beautiful or might be relatable but because it's it's just kind of taken everything possible and collided it it's no longer definable or or relatable mm-hmm. or even pretty yeah you really have to pay attention to the little nuances that you kind of touch on as they're walking through you're like mm, what was that again and you reread the the page a little bit just so you re- make sure you read it right the first time because it's kind of out there like you said it um disconnects you with a bit of reality when you're reading through it it's really good um that was a bit of the uh strategy that's a bit of the strategy writing it was that you know the first time i just put it all down but when i did that first like you know, the first time you write, it's kind of for yourself. And the second time it's for your reader and, and onwards. So if it felt like it was really easy for me to come up with a description, then I should change something about it to make it like something that would make you actually go back and be like, wait, did I read that right? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you picked up on that. You definitely, I had to do that a few times, especially with narrating it. Cause you're, when you narrate, you read ahead and then your mouth catches up. So if you read ahead, you're like, what the... <laughs> Then I have to like re-record the vocal of the previous part because I got distracted from what was coming up, even though I already read the book. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's tricky. What's your favorite part of the book? You have a passage you want to read? A favorite passage mm. or something that you yes, think is just sure. like them okay cool the most connecting part it's less of the most connecting part and more just um i wanted it's kind of, i don't want to give away too much but if you know if someone reads it whatever spoiler spoiler alert um you know there there's just kind of this end of the world moment i guess you could call mm-hmm. it where mm-hmm. you know previously all these various reapers all these things you know that that would be kind of limited in in who and how they would would um claim souls i guess is the the gentle way of putting it mm-hmm. um killing people you know, what would happen if they were on yeah so like in limbo they've got this top 10 that they all get to celebrate together and then towards the end of the book it's like once they're unleashed on the living world it kind of becomes its own like even more grotesque uh top 10 so I rather than trying to write the end of the world like a 200 page epic I thought it would be kind of cool to be like this is happening all over the world and here are the top 10 like worst things that the reapers are doing at this moment okay wait hold uh, that hold that I just want to explain one thing so when they have these ceremonies 
whether they're nightly or yearly or whatever, because you can't really tell that. Everybody's vying for the top spot. Who did the best reaping in the last however long the seg- the time segment is? And Grim, the reaper, always wins. He always has the most vicious kill or the most out of this world attack. And so the part that I think Marco's going to read is kind of sums up the level of magnitude that people will go to be on this list. Right? Yeah, I think that's okay, a really cool. great way of um great way of putting it. Um and of course the you know the, the the subjects, the clay that these reapers use as people, which is just horrible. So, you know, these are obviously like hot high points of uh of Marco's a really nice guy, by the way. He doesn't have any underlying <laughs> um issues no (laughs) well this is probably this might be one of the more innocent ones okay good okay all right so um highlight eight the four hunters tensed looking frantically from each other to the bulbous figure emerging from the dense woods Its large, round base lurched forward and two smaller white sections balanced on top, bobbing up and down in time. A bitter wind was blowing, sending its festive, long, knit scarf into a wild flutter. A rifle shot exploded, scattering a stray bird that had been observing them all from above, but the thing kept coming. The bullet had passed right through, succeeding only in knocking one of its black buttons out of line. The rest remained undisturbed, arranged between a shiny new top hat with a red ribbon tied to its base, forming a rudimentary expression of a face frozen in the curve of a smile. As the thing descended upon the closest hunter, five of its crude arms shot out, each made up of thin, dry sticks twisted together and jammed into its sides. They held fast while the other hunters simply looked on, all of them frozen in place, unable to move. The one unoccupied twig hand pulled the nose, an enormous carrot with a gleaming pointed tip, out from the center of its face. It hold the nose aloft a moment, and then, with two sharp and precise motions, plunged it deep into the hunter's eye sockets. He slumped in the thing's arms and was tossed aside in a bloody heap that steamed in the cold air. One of the other hunters was desperately trying to raise his own rifle, but only succeeded in raising his voice as the smiling face fixated on him. He had to say it out loud, to make what was right in front of them real. Shoot the snowman! The bird had returned, resuming its observations as the snowman went about its work unimpeded. Once the last of the four figures had been dispatched, the six thin arms began rolling the bodies together, bones snapping and an ever-increasing stain of red spreading out into the surrounding snow. The thing moved quickly and once finished, backed away from its creation for a final approval. Appraisal, sorry. The bird waited until the satisfied snowman moved on before flapping down to peck at the exposed, rapidly freezing meat. Though none of the four hunters were individually decipherable, they were all present in the three round globes of compressed and intermingled flesh stacked atop one another in the perfect image of their cold architect. The bird feasted until it had its fill, the artistry of the bloody perch entirely lost on its audience. So evil snowman, I just really wanted to have a moment (laughs) where there was a reason for there to be an evil snowman and, uh, that kind of gave me the ability to write those like mini, just these mini little like glimpses of horror, kind of like, um, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? No. 
Okay, so spoiler alert, there's a moment where like, it's basically every horror movie in one where people unleash one horror, like a zombie family, but they find out that's just one of the many they could have chosen. And mm. all of those get kind of unleashed at the same time. So, you know, the characters get these little just glimpses of these things that they could have released, whether it's like the Hellraiser type creature, or like the Wolfman okay, or, okay, or, or yeah. ghosts. Yeah. So that was kind of my version of that. I just loved that experience of seeing that movie and getting like, oh my God, there's so many monsters and this thing's happening here and this thing's happening here. And just take a brief detour from the story to just give something to a horror fan. That's mm-hmm. like, I just kind of want to see these crazy monsters and creatures, you know, tear things up. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, so where Marco's reading is kind of like a highlight um, of the top 10, essentially. Right. Basically, yeah. As as the kind of collection of Reapers are like essentially sweeping the earth in search of um, their targets, um, yeah, they're they're kind of just taking they're dispatching everyone as they go because they've been pr- given permission to. Right. Yeah. Dispatch is probably a good word. They dispatch him, and so they have. He has these five stories that are all completely different from each other, and. Even if the story is only like half a page long, the detail that Marco put into them is enough that you you get a beginning, a middle, and an end of a story that impacts you. They're really crazy. Some of them are super scary. Like the one where um, I'll just give a little snippet, unless you want to, re- unless you want me to read it. But the one where he puts his hand in the bag and pulls out the people to sprinkle on the girl. I was like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which one was that? That one was like, oh, and they're all kind of. That one's number five. That one's five. Five. Thousands squirmed within the sack. The lucky ones at the bottom had long since been crushed or suffocated, while the rest were left to writhe and struggle. Most of their bones had been broken, jutting out at strange angles, the sack filling with a new wave of moans each time it was shifted by whatever was outside. It had been quite some time since the top of it had opened, Red light pouring in while the first dozen or so helpless handfuls had been scooped up. An appetizing smell now filled the air, stronger than the horrendous stench that had made hundreds of them heave. Otherwise, they saw and heard little, the encasing fabric muffling everything but the sizzling. Haruki Ota was the only one who could see the monstrosity in full peeking through the inch-wide part in the fabric his face was pressed into. He had already given up, his body trapped and tangled, held down by such a weight he could hardly breathe, let alone fight. Besides, seeing what he saw, he knew there was no sense in struggling. The best he could hope for was that, when his turn came, it would end quickly a hope he held on to until the massive hand scooped him up with the next handful with the next handful and sprinkled fresh ingredients onto the burning iron surface Ugh, gross Ooh. 
We even know the story because of the creeps. Okay, Definitely, well, on- uh, giants, giants creep me out for sure. Uh, and that was my Ooh. little giant moment. That was, oh yeah, that was a really good one. I think the one that caught me the most, and we won't go through them all, although it is really appetizing to do so, is the one where the mom is looking out and the little girl is swinging. She's swinging on the, because mm. I have a daughter and I like have had that moment where you're watching her on the swings. It was very relatable for me, although mine obviously didn't end like your stories, little girl ended, but we won't give any I made the mistake away. of I made the mistake of reading that I mean it's 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 a pretty I can imagine very upsetting thing to to read especially if you have a daughter so I do apologize yes that one was that. pretty um, hardcore yeah and uh definitely when I was asked to read there was like a Halloween event at work a few years ago like right when I published that in the first mm. place and I was like, oh, why don't you read an expert excerpt? I was like, are you sure? And that, for some reason, is the one I chose because I thought it was the most standalone. And uh, a lot of people were very upset with me. They were? It's pretty hardcore. They said it with their eyes. They didn't have to say it with their lips. Yes, that's true. You got the feeling anyways, hey? (laughs) Big time. When I was talking to you about doing this interview, we were talking about maybe a giveaway or two. And you mentioned that you have another book or collection of stories. You want to tell me about your other project that you have? Sure. So uh, it it kind of started somewhat like that highlight reel. I was just, I like the idea of Mm. writing these like ultra short, like flash fiction kind of things. Um, but this time I wanted to do it where it didn't really connect to any, anything. Like a centralized those... story. Exactly. Like they would just be standalone things. And I thought, okay, well, I've, I just wrote a novel. I don't really have the energy to take on another, but I want to keep writing because um, mm-hmm. I really like this process and decided to write a book of one sentence uh, horror stories, which obviously is very different than a novel. Um, it has a different feeling to it, but yeah, so it's, it's called brief horrible moments uh it is a say that again marco replorable sure sorry it's called brief horrible moments oh, a brief. collection of yeah um collection of one sentence horror stories so 252 one sentence stories um sometimes a little bit generous with what defines one sentence mm-hmm. and grammatical strict rules but if you're writing 252 sentences okay a few of them you got to give me Give us some of them. Read us a couple. Oh, boy. Um, do you have a handy or no? Okay. Yes, I do. Just one sec. There's, um, I don't know who it is. I don't think it's Stephen King, but on Instagram, there's a, I follow this, whatever it is, this page, and it's horror stories that are like literally a one sentence long. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but some of them are pretty good. There's a little, little it's, blurb. Uh, it's become pretty popular. I guess people just like reading like little short things. Um, 
I'll give you give me a couple. Okay. Um, <laughs> it laid its hand on my shoulders, still staring at me from across the lake. Oh yeah, yuck! Got some really long hands there. Um, you can trust me," whispered my, the voice of my childhood best friend from deep within the bathtub's drain. Oh, gross! One more. The locked window kept the crooked, emaciated thing at bay, but unfortunately for me, its shadow was still free to enter. <sighs> so, so it, it just like it's meant to just give. Why two fifty two? Sorry um, to interrupt you there, but I'll be I'll be honest. It was a little. I probably should have given more thought to the exact number, um, but I didn't. This time I did. I've got a new one coming out within the next couple of months. Reformable hmm. moments too. Um, and now, of course, they're two sentence horror stories. And you'll be happy to know that I kept it very symmetrical this time. 200 stories, 100 natural stories, and 100 supernatural stories. Oh, cool. And that's coming out soon? Yeah, I'd say within the next uh, within the next two months should be up uh, in print and in uh, ebook. Where do you sell your books? You can find them on uh, on Amazon. Um, obviously, the audiobook, as you know, is on Audible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy them on the iTunes store and pretty much any bookstore you go to around the world. You can special order um, my stuff. So you know, if you ask any of them my name, that's where a lot of my you know orders seem to come from, which is really nice. Oh, that's um, very cool. From special order. Yeah, so, hey? hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, very uh, cool pretty pretty diversely around the world um so yeah i guess bookstores still exist in a lot of places and people are still buying them who would have known (laughs) what's the um pandemic like where you are because we are we are talking during covid so i always like to kind of get your perspective in your area of the world what is it like there it's uh as of today um it's at about 2,000 cases a day. Um, it's kind of going back up again, breaking records in tr- Ontario, um, and particularly Toronto. Are you in but, Toronto? Yeah, I'm pretty much right in the downtown core. Okay. So it's a bit of a ghost town a lot of the time. Like, I think now that thing- things have shut down for a second time. So we had like a shutdown in like March, and then things were lifted over the summer when the cases were down. And then it's back on now. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a ghost town. Not a lot of people out. Um, everyone just kind of keeping to themselves and it's getting really cold. So another reason not to be outside or, or whatever. Right. How about and Vancouver? are you working remote? Are you working at home? Yeah, I'm very lucky that I can work remotely um, and not really have any interruption in what I do. So, you know, I, I could be, I know a lot of people are having a very hard time through the pandemic and mm-hmm. I'm just extremely lucky that I can work through it and that I haven't had to worry about that side of it at least. Yeah. I mean, so he, so Marco's in the Eastern part of Canada and I'm in the Western, Western part. And it's the same here, actually, like our numbers today, like we are, we're, you know, we're getting close to you guys. We're not as, as high, but we're 1700 today, like wow. 1800 yesterday. Um, our hospitals are opening more wards to accommodate the COVID 
victims or COVID cases. And we're on lockdown right now here. Oh, wow. So as of yesterday, um, you could only have 15% of fire code occupancy in any stores. And you cannot any longer eat in a restaurant. Only everything is by takeout. I think you guys are the same. Same thing. Um, Salons are closed too. Yeah. So salons just closed, um, like massage, nails, all that stuff is all closed. Yeah. Um, hence the, uh, I got, I got some bad COVID hair going on here. So I know actually <laughs> I'm growing my COVID hair out. So mine's actually shorter than Marco's on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> We're on video. So it's kind of cool. We get to see each other. We haven't actually met in face to face until now, just over email and voicemail here and there. And mm. um, so you sort of write for a living because I asked you that question, but you're a copywriter, not necessarily a novelist or a, an author for a living. Yeah. I mean, the uh, I think the stat on like horror novelists uh, becoming successful is ju- it's something like one in 50,000. So, oh, that's you know, pretty good. I do my bets. Yeah. You're right you up know. there. I, I do. I do it because I love it. You know, it's, it's how I fill my fill my time. But, uh, you know, I'm able to use those same skills to, you know, allow me to kind of live in, in an unfortunately expensive city. I know your city is much more expensive than mine. However, I do live very close to downtown here in Calgary, which I think we compared notes once on that. And Mm. it is back to your comment about the weather. We woke up to minus 23 with the wind this morning. So it's brutally cold. And on Friday, we were like plus 10. So welcome to the mountains. I should not be complaining. We are nowhere near that much yet, but no. But you're very humid there, so it's chillier than normal, right? Yeah, with the except, I mean, it's actually been not too bad. I'm I'm complaining a little too much about a cold that is only settling in now because it's been pretty damn warm until uh, really recently. But uh, now we're all going to be hiding in our caves again. I know. So, do you know anybody that's contracted COVID, the coronavirus? No. No, that's one thing I I think here, I mean, I guess you can say it for most of Canada, with the exception of some truly uh, disappointing protesters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the country's done really well, and everyone's really, you know, tried to look out for each other. And I've been lucky enough that no one in my circle has has gotten it other than like really, really extended, like, I don't even know the people kind of circle. Right. So yeah, counting myself lucky, because I know that in the U.S., for example, you know, you're not necessarily so lucky. You probably know someone touched by it. Somebody very, yeah, within your circle. Um, yeah, personally, we don't, we don't know anybody we know. It's like some kids at school and, um, you know, people at my husband's office, but it's at arm's length away or, or further for us. So I'm glad. I mean, that's nice that you're safe and your family's safe, your circle's safe. Um, you so, too. I mean, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say you too. I'm glad, I'm glad that everyone's okay. I know. Cause it's, uh, it's not the same for everybody out there. So we just wanted to kind of pay a little bit of respect to 
the coronavirus and what other people are experiencing. Um, thank you for coming on my show. And thank you for choosing me to narrate your book. It was great. If you have another book you want me to narrate, I would love to do that for you. Um, that's and- that's uh, wonderful. And, and thank you so much for, you did an amazing job. It's not an easy book to read for me- for several reasons. And uh yeah, I, I'm, I'm super happy with the result. I hope everyone goes and listens to it. And uh, hopefully it doesn't get too grossed out and uh, find some some romance and some weirdness and something maybe a little even poetic about the story. There's definitely romance in there. And uh, a few of those moments were extremely touching between Dora and Grimm. I must give you that. And um, yeah, this has been fun. So take care, Marco. Thanks. Take care. See you. Thanks. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Hi, I'm Marco Panza, and I am from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thanks for listening to the show today and my interview with Marco Panza. And thanks, Marco, for coming on the show. And as a special gift to the listeners, Marco has donated two books. So, if you like the episode, and if you have a great horror story that you loved, send it to me, and I'll put your name in a draw. I don't mean send me the actual book. I just mean leave a comment and tell me what you love about your horror story. And is there any fictional characters in it that make the story great. Leave me a comment and I'll put your name in for a draw to win one of Marco Panza's books. Thank you. This is Valerie Moss from Studio 17.